You're listening to the Carib Climate Podcast, produced by the Investment Plan for the Caribbean Regional Track of the Pilot Program for Climate Resilience, funded by the Inter-American Development Bank through the Climate Investment Funds and implemented by the Project Management Unit of the University of the West Indies Mona Office for Research and Innovation. Climate change has impacted water availability in the Caribbean region. Many climate scenarios indicate that rainfall in the region will become more intense and there will be more frequent dry spells. To combat this challenge, the Caribbean Regional PPCR project focused on strengthening rainwater harvesting systems to support water-stressed communities across Grenada, Jamaica and St. Lucia. Head of Water Resources at the GWP UK, Clive Carpenter, and lead on the Rainwater Harvesting Systems subcomponent, shares more climate and water challenges in the region. As most people are aware, um, that climate change is generally recognised as having an impact on reducing rainfall uh, in the region, especially during the dry months, um, and uh, evaporation is increasing. So um, we talk about something called effective rainfall, which is, which is the amount of rainfall that doesn't get evaporated before it kind of hits the ground and flows into the rivers or, or infiltrates into the ground. And so uh, climate change is projected to be significantly reducing effective rainfall. And this means there'll be less water in the rivers. And this means there'll be uh, less water in the ground. So the groundwater can, can become saline. So. So in terms of uh, water resource availability, it's uh, the, the projections, and this is backed up by a lot of the historical change, so the change in these climatic parameters over the last, uh, over the last decades. Um, we are seeing an, in, an increasing aridity, you know, a reduction in available water to be exploited. Um, but climate change also uh, tending to see an increase in rainfall intensity and whilst it's difficult to perhaps uh, attribute uh, more hurricanes in the region, specifically to climate change, we are seeing more intense storms. And so that it creates erosion of the catchments and the watersheds. And that means that you may have more water at certain times of year, but you might not be able to use it because it's too turbid. So a reduction in water resource availability means less water for the water utilities and for people to be able to use at a time when that increase in temperature is likely to be increasing demand for water, especially for those countries that rely on irrigation, such as Jamaica. So you kind of have a double whammy there where you end up with less water being available as the country starts to need more water. The Global Water Partnership helped the PPCR deliver a regional rainwater harvesting project. Unlike most rainwater harvesting projects that focus on installation of systems, this project supported the enabling environment for rainwater harvesting. This included the need for policies to make rainwater harvesting a mainstream practice and also training of professionals to promote improved water quality collected through these systems. And the purpose of this program was to try and understand the role rainwater harvesting could play to contributing towards improving water sector or water supply resilience to climate change. Uh, and to understand why uh, rainwater harvesting was not being used more widely than it is. So, so what reasons are preventing its uptake? 
and the purpose of doing that was to uh, was if you can understand what these reasons are, then you can design initiatives and incentives uh, to try and maximise the replication of rainwater harvesting. So it was uh, an unusual project in that uh, most rainwater harvesting projects focus in on delivering and implementing rainwater harvesting, whereas this was understanding why it wasn't happening. Rainwater harvesting is a common practice in the Caribbean. So why is it important to develop policies for rainwater harvesting? Uh, well, I think all, all issues and interventions need some kind of context and they need some kind of strategy for their delivery. And they need to be sustainable, which means that the issue needs to be embedded within the mandates of organizations and somehow linked to you know, existing policy frameworks that are guiding everything from uh, from government budgets to you know, national planning. And if, if you don't, if that issue is not somehow linked into these, then uh, then it, it's difficult for it to get attention and it's difficult for it to get uh, resources um, either within the government in ministries or even you know within within civil society because they don't understand how they can uh, access uh, resources to to deliver rainwater harvesting. One of the barriers that we identified was that was that rainwater harvesting harvesting is slightly different in that it's practiced by many organisations and uh, whether those are governmental or non-governmental, uh, but it's actually uh, not really anyone's mandate. So it do often doesn't have a home, it doesn't have a champion, uh, uh, but it's being you know, implemented by many different parties. So the responsibilities for it are either very often absent altogether or they're fragmented across many agencies. So not having a policy foundation makes it difficult for it to get attention and makes it difficult for it to be uh, integrated into uh, into um, agencies' work programs. So it's really important to establish uh, a policy framework, but um, not necessarily uh, its own one, because there are many policies out there. So a lot of our attention focused on the existing policy framework. So whether that was water and sanitation, or whether that was climate change, or whether that was public health, and understanding the role rainwater harvesting could play in delivering those policies. So it's not just about in coming up with a new policy, but even if, if that policy isn't part of someone's mandate, then then who's going to implement it? You still have fragmentation. So the, the, the rainwater harvesting policy that we developed was actually more about identifying uh, either existing opportunities within the policy framework or seeing where we could augment or embed rainwater harvesting policies within existing frameworks. The project conducted assessments to better understand the role of rainwater harvesting in the face of climate change. This involved interviewing communities to understand concerns about climate change related to their own water supply and examining the issue of household water security. We realised that actually everyone makes decisions based upon you know, their existing challenges. And what we had to do was understand what is the role of well, what is the normal supply of water to households? And in the, we were working in three countries specifically, Grenada and St. Lucia, where the water utility, certainly on the main island, is providing maybe 96, 98% of the water. And so um, 
Therefore, all households or the vast majority of households have access to the water utility supply. It's a bit different in Jamaica, where there's a bigger kind of urban-rural split. Um, but for St. Lucia and Grenada, households have a decent water supply most of the time. So you have to understand what what is the concern that the households have that might drive them towards looking for alternative supplies. And the answer is that from time to time, those utilities can't provide water. And that's either because they're the watersheds that they're dependent upon or the aquifers that they're dependent upon um, um, during dry periods, then if the water doesn't exist or not enough water exists, or it's after uh, hurricanes and storm events where the catchments have been um, destabilized and eroded and there's lots of turbidity in the water and the water utility can't supply the water for a couple of weeks. And it's that time when uh, households actually need rainwater harvesting or some other alternative to get them through these gaps when the, you know when the when these water shortages occur and through these questionnaires we got a strong understanding that certainly in St Lucia and Grenada for the most part um, it's actually the hurricanes or the storms that are the issue it's these two week shortages of water that they have a problem so when you understand this then you realize that the role of rainwater harvesting for the water sector is not as a competitor to the utility, but rather as being complementary to the utility. The regional rainwater harvesting project also included the development of model codes. These codes guide the design, construction and management of rainwater harvesting systems to ensure water safety standards and manage health risks associated with the collection and storage of rainwater. So model codes, which was one of the things that we had to kind of focus in on, um, codes are, well, mean different things to different people. Um, sometimes we policies to some people, but really what we're talking about is legislation um, uh, and or guidance, actually. So, um, so in the Caribbean, there's a number of building codes. There's a, a regional code. Um, there's um, uh, an OECS code. There's actually, there's a Jamaica code, all different building codes. And these provide guidance. Um, I mean, if, they, if the building codes become part of legislation, they might be mandatory. Um, but these are a way of trying to um, mainstream um, uh, good rainwater harvesting practice into the way that houses are being built. Or properties are being built, so it's um, it's a contribution that affects primarily new build, possibly could affect uh, could affect extensions, um, but the idea is to try and ensure that rainwater harvesting is is integrated into the into the national housing stock um, when new builds start to come online. Training rainwater harvesting professionals and providing tools to improve installation like water balance calculators help determine the capacity for water storage. A water balance calculator is it's like a, a very simple spreadsheet. And what it does is it takes them it, it takes rainfall data. And if you imagine that, that rainfall is gonna some of that rainfall is gonna fall on the house. So um, if you, um, and you want to work out how much of that water uh, you can capture. 
So we we take the rainfall data and then we have um, like a ta an entry table where you put inputs into the into this calculator, which include the area of the house, uh, the, the maybe the, the type of materials on the roof, um, the you know, the amount of the house that is gutted, the amount of guttering on on the house. And then that water is going to flow into a tank. So you, know, you put the size of the tank into the calculator, as well as the number of people who might take water from the tank. And then depending on um, how they use the water, you know, are they going to use it for drinking or not, then we, um, we provide some guidance as to what kind of typical uh, water demands people have per, per day. So this way, the calculator works out how much water goes into the tank and how much water leaves the tank. By using historical rainfall data and previous drought periods, the water balance calculator helps to assess the size of the tank which suits the need of the architect, householder or developer for the required period. Maybe it's to get through you know, the 1998 drought or, or you know, whatever it may be. Um, and especially if you can pick on a, a drought period that they uh, experienced, then it's much more tangible. So we can explain to them, well, uh, if you had gutted all of your house and you had a tank that was whatever, a thousand gallons, then you would have had water for this kind of period of time. Whereas if you had a bigger tank, obviously it would be for a longer period. And we're able to also kind of make them compare and contrast, um, you know, if, if you only have guttering on a quarter of your roof, which is surprisingly common, but you have a you have a tank that is pretty big, then maybe your tank never fills up. So you know, maybe it's a more cost-effective solution to start guttering all of the house, and then and then look at ex, uh, expanding the amount of tank storage you have. You know, as when it once you're capturing the water. According to Clive, the water balance calculator provided practical guidance to design and construct rainwater harvesting systems in different environments. So it's a really simple approach. Um, um, we found that um, the engineers, the architects, uh, the developers, they really liked it because it kind of helps them to sit down with their clients, whether those are you know, householders or resorts or or, or even maybe planners in a you know for a for a new hospital or whatever you know whatever it might be um, and explain to them the value of gushering the whole property or the value of allowing space on site for storage. The project also conducted training workshops, which included the development of materials and manuals. These trainings were tailored to each country to align with the cultural context and to respond to different levels of drought exposure. And that training was focused on, on, a, on a very wide range of people from quite technical people, you know, architects and, 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 and builders and developers, and through to a lot of environmental health and public health professionals and some climate um, um, risk managers, um, disaster risk managers, so that we could cover the range of skills that they needed because it, the, what came out of the work was that um, it's not just about how you build something. It's actually about understanding the role of the rainwater harvesting uh, in the, um, for the householder uh, and then getting them to understand how they can make improvements because there were some, a lot of assumptions as to how you should implement rainwater harvesting. And a lot of previous interventions um, had been delivered, which kind of missed the point. 
which is for, for householders, you know, they are going to want to use rainwater harvesting when the utility supply is not available. Um, and that actually, the household budget is already being stretched. You know, people have lots of financial demands on themselves, and you can't expect people to build a brand new rainwater harvesting system, which is kind of the usual advocacy approach. And also, it's about usually when rainwater harvesting is promoted, it's promoted in terms of like best practice. So, you know, lots of guttering, lots of tanks, use the best materials available. And that makes it really expensive when um, a lot of um, householders don't have that kind of money. So, so the approach we took was to try and get householders and then these professionals, be them environmental health or architects, developers, to understand how you assess the risk to that, to that rainwater harvesting system. So what, what are the things that can prevent it from working? What are the things that result in the water quality deteriorating? The regional rainwater harvesting trainings taught people to develop risk reduction programs and how to make qualitative decisions to improve their rainwater harvesting systems. So we call this incremental risk reduction. And in the, taking this approach, it means that any householder can be trained up to look at their rainwater harvesting system. Any householder can make tangible small improvements. And if they make those small improvements and they see a benefit of that, then they're going to be more interested in making another improvement. So a lot of our training, in fact, all of our training pretty much was on this. And um, the, the big focus on the environmental health teams in the countries, because they go into these communities and then they assess you know, the household hygiene and they can and they can contribute to working with the communities on understanding how to very simply assess the risk. Um, and NGOs and CBOs you know, were, were there as well. So you know, it was a broad church. Um, with a focus on uh, mostly on these softer elements uh, rather than um, you know, how you put a bit of guttering up or how you put a tank on a level piece of ground. One benefit of the Caribbean Regional PPCR's approach was the improved engagement with environmental health teams and local communities. Um, from an environmental health point of view, um, we worked closely with trying to understand, especially in Grenada, trying to understand how the environmental health teams engage with these communities and try and introduce some of these approaches into the uh, into the way that these environmental health teams routine, routinely engage with these communities. So environmental health teams will use questionnaires and they'll use checklists to um, assess the hygiene risks to the households. So in Grenada, for example, um, we took some of our guidance and then we draft, redrafted that so it could then be included in the, uh, in the householder and community engagement um, materials that the um, environmental health teams use in Grenada. This method ensured the sustainability of the rainwater harvesting with an emphasis on risk assessments and the reduction of risks. The implementation of a regional rainwater harvesting project was not without challenges. Uh, well, I, there were a lot, I think. Um, it was, certainly was a challenging project. Um, I think, uh, to begin with, um, the issue we had was that when rainwater harvesting is, as I mentioned earlier, is practiced by lots of agencies and, uh, and organizations um, but it's not really the formal responsibility of any of them. So 
there's a lot of sort of fragmentation of who's taking responsibility for the issue. And when you engage with any uh, country, you know there are uh, there is a need to ensure that you engage with the right stakeholders, and you um, and you have your formal approvals to be engaging in those in the countries as well. So, so the institutional fragmentation was tricky because you know who, who is going to take this mandate forward? In the, is there a need for a formal lead organisation? A lot of policies and a lot of and a lot of interventions normally embedded somewhere. So, so that was a challenge. Uh, so what we did was invited a very broad church of of stakeholders, um, um, which itself, of course, takes a lot of resources and a lot of effort, and you don't want to disenfranchise people. What makes developing policies around rainwater harvesting so complicated? That lack of ownership, I think, you know, also exists at a policy level, which I mentioned earlier, and and, and as a and at legislation, um, you know, they're, they're, it's not necessarily embedded in. In legislation, I mean, Jamaica has in fact recently developed some rainwater harvesting guidelines, but most countries haven't. So this makes it difficult to to to, um, to ensure that you have the right stakeholders involved. Uh, it makes it a bit more tricky to develop policy because the policy isn't necessarily going to be owned by a particular uh, agency. Um, and and so this, these were some of the challenges that we faced that that we overcame by ensuring that we had broad early national dialogues um, and that we had very strong um, local partners with their networks so we could try and capture as many uh, as many of the likely key stakeholders as as we could another challenge was navigating the cultural barriers associated with rainwater harvesting I think a, like a broad general misunderstanding or myth that rainwater harvesting isn't practiced I mean it, it generally isn't as the primary water source. In Grenada and St. Lucia, at least on the main islands, it's practiced on Karakou, of course, um, one of the outer islands. Uh, in Jamaica, it is definitely practiced in the more rural areas. Um, but for the majority of people in the majority of the countries, there was a perception that it wasn't being um, it wasn't being practiced. So there was um, there was a, a misconception on on its existing role and the existing value that it had, which was it was important. Once we understood that, it was actually a great benefit because it meant that we we could build on the rainwater harvesting practice that already existed. But failing to understand that it it did exist was a significant misconception that was likely caught relatively early on because of these um, community engagements. Typical rainwater harvesting projects across the Caribbean tended to focus on the community rather than the household. In doing so, individuals viewed rainwater harvesting as an expensive undertaking. So uh, there has been an enormous amount of effort in the last couple of decades to introduce rainwater harvesting, but it frankly didn't look at household rainwater harvesting. It was almost always communal in nature, which has its value, um, but um, by not focusing in on householders, um, then the relevance of these community schemes, which are often very large, often expensive, were the, the relevance of those two householders was was minimal. So they saw these schemes as being something they couldn't afford and something that was irrelevant to them. So, so then, what was perceived as the significant body of investment in rainwater harvesting in the region actually hadn't achieved that much for householders, except perhaps as a backup community scheme.
So, um, mm-hmm. so in fact, we realised that we were kind of starting from scratch, actually, which um, which uh, uh, meant that you know we had to recognise that, in fact, these previous rainwater harvesting rainwater harvesting initiatives may have even been a barrier. They they were actually making matters worse uh, in terms of householders being um, 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 householders not seeing what the benefit was because because they were too expensive and and too large and and too irrelevant. Um, so that was uh, that was a bit of a challenge. Um, getting data from from different organisations that's that's a that's always a always a challenge. Um, whatever project you're working on, but because of the number of agencies you're trying to engage with um, and perhaps a lack of interagency collaboration um, on on data sharing, which is not uncommon. The challenges of data collection across agencies perceptions of unsafe water quality from rainwater harvesting were barriers that became building blocks to respond to training needs. Um, then, you know, that, that added to the, um, um, to the, you know, the challenge of having data to work on to, to be able to inform um, um, our decision-making. Um, and then perhaps I think lastly, um, the householders themselves, you know, they had some, there were, you know, common, um, strong beliefs in rainwater harvesting as being unsafe from a water quality point perspective um, and being expensive because of you know, the, the previous um, focusing on build, building brand new schemes. So we had to understand what those barriers were in order to address them, in order to overcome them, which we did by focusing in on risk assessment. So recognizing that Householders believe there are water quality risks, uh, not not hiding those risks, accepting those risks, but then understanding that actually there are ways to reduce these risks. Um, and if you and if you can do that in a relatively cheap and incremental way, then you address the other issue, which is that of that of cost. So, the, understanding the challenges and the barriers uh, was critical to actually developing a way that addressed those. And um, uh, and enabled us to develop instruments and training materials uh, that could then address these barriers. A renewed approach to rainwater harvesting, increased community buy-in, the development of manuals and resource materials benefiting a cross-section of stakeholders, and a new policy framework are some of the major achievements of the rainwater harvesting system subcomponent of the Caribbean Regional PPCR project. Um, we arrived at a fundamental rethink on how rainwater harvesting should be used and how to get communities to um, and householders to be self-motivated to um, undertake rainwater harvesting improvements. Um, and this, I think, is a significant mindset change from the way rainwater harvesting was viewed before and the way it was implemented. So um, by then pulling that, those materials into a um, into a, what we call a replication strategy, where we were then able to develop an approach which governments can um, can implement, uh, understanding the roles of different parties, whether that's private sector engineers or architects, or whether that's their environmental health teams or the NGOs. Um, but also understand what their role is as a national, uh, as national agencies in developing, you know, 
policy frameworks that will support and, and strategies and financial instruments that will support the uptake of rainwater harvesting. Um, so the yeah, so that's the main output is to is to develop. It has been to develop these materials. We obviously have created some capacity, uh, additional capacity in terms of um, the um, you know the hundred or so professionals that were trained up across the three countries. Um, but I think the the, the bigger uh, and broader point is is the development of approaches and strategies that if you've implemented stand uh, in a strong uh, likelihood of ensuring a, a, a much broader replication of the use of rainwater harvesting as a climate resilience measure. Another supporting feature of the regional rainwater harvesting initiative was the development of a replication strategy which involved identifying opportunities to secure climate funding. The proof will be in the implementation of that over the next over the next years, um, which is why in the replication strategy we included identifying and focusing in on opportunities to secure climate funding. So um, to um, to um, make sure the uh, governments understand how the integration of rainwater harvesting into the climate climate change policy into the water sector policy into the environmental health policy into national disaster risk management policy if you create this evidence base then uh, and you link that to a very strong climate rationale for why rainwater harvesting has a role to play in climate resilience then you stand a much better chance of advocating that to some of these big climate funding uh, um, initiatives such as you know, the green climate fund for example so um, so the idea was to make sure that that not only do we produce materials which which will be of benefit to a wide range group of stakeholders, but also that that national implementation can be embedded in both in terms of its mainstreaming, in terms of policy and and uh, legislation, but also uh, linking it to the opportunities that small island states uh, have increasingly to access these in these large climate funds. The Carib Climate Podcast is produced by the Investment Plan for the Caribbean Regional Track of the Pilot Program for Climate Resilience, funded by the Inter-American Development Bank through the Climate Investment Funds and implemented by the Project Management Unit of the University of the West Indies Mona Office for Research and Innovation. The Carib Climate Podcast using data to make climate resilience greater.